Hey everybody, this is Jim from faithtestedbyfire.com, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Hey everyone, this is Jim. Thanks for joining me for today's podcast episode. I have to say, it has sure been a while since I published a new podcast episode. Our original podcast host has gone out of business. They've closed their doors after 19 years in being in business online. So in the big picture, I have mixed feelings about this. On one hand, they're a small company, but they did provide a good service over time, a lot of value. But then on the other hand, the reliability of the service over the past 12 months definitely wasn't on the same level as it had been in previous years. So I don't know if they were having trouble bringing on Uh, new customers, and they couldn't update their hardware or exactly what it was. But there were quite a few outages over the last 12 months and specifically over the last four months, I would say four or five months. And that makes it very difficult when you're working with a tech stack that's no longer reliable. So what we've done is we've moved this podcast to a different platform. And this platform will also enable us to create audio programs, audio courses, and other teaching materials. So that is a plus. And that brings me to this podcast, the future of the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. You know, I originally launched this podcast, and I didn't recognize this growing disconnect that was happening over time between the local church and just people in general. Fewer people going to church regularly, a lot of long-time quote-unquote churchgoers dropping off, falling through the cracks. However, people do spend quite a bit of time online, and I noticed that people were connecting more and more with online ministries. Now, I don't want to say that an online ministry is a replacement for local church or relationships that you have one-on-one with people. Of course, There's also the circumstances where people are in these very large churches. There are still mega churches around, and they more or less get lost in the crowd. They don't have any real connections with individuals, and that's what fellowship is really all about, people connecting with people. However, I do realize that especially over the last few years, a lot of people have been uh, shut in with uh, all of the things that we've seen with COVID in the news. People were, uh, I wouldn't say fearful necessarily, but they were definitely more hesitant about being in larger groups and closer contact with people. So all of these things came together, and I recognize that there was definitely an opportunity here to help people through online ministry. And that was one of the reasons why I originally created this podcast, and it only became more so with the passing of time. The masses are online. I mean, we could look at that as something good. We could look at it as something bad. We could say that the online world has created more problems than it has solved. But I think it's like anything else in life. Things could be used in a positive way and they can be used in a negative way. And so we work with what we have. Isn't that true? God gives you things in life. And a lot of times you look at what you have and you think, this isn't enough. I need more. But when you work with what you have, God blesses you with something more. And so when I look at the possibilities of how this podcast can be used to help people just like yourself, just ordinary, everyday people, I think there is a lot of possibility 
Because there's just so much darkness in the world today that wherever there is a light shining in the dark place, good things can happen. I say all of this because even putting this podcast together and managing the Faith Tested by Fire website, that too over the past several years has been difficult for me because like you, I too have to find the work-life balance. You know, we each have the same amount of time every day, and that time gets divided up between so many things. And it's just easy to let certain things slide and to, you know, be focusing on the wrong things for too long and the right things for not long enough. We each have the same amount of time every day, and when that gets divided up between so many things, not the least of which is the time that's needed by the people around us each and every day, then sometimes you look and you wonder, what things am I doing in my life, right here, right now, that are going to have an impact on eternity? How we invest our time absolutely can touch eternity. You know, last year, a friend of mine passed away, and over 32 years earlier, I had shared Jesus with him. And a short time after that, he shared with me that he had called on the name of Jesus and was saved. And I celebrated that with him. But that's what I mean by investing time in the things that touch eternity. A little conversation here and there can change the course of someone's life. And I believe that God has each of us, his church, every believer has the ability to impact the lives of the people around us. It doesn't necessarily have to be in this big, you know, supernatural, spectacular way, although, of course, that's fine too. But it's the little seeds that we plant or the seeds that someone else planted that we water, and it does make a difference. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words shall never pass away in Matthew 24, 35. And so the truths that we share, the truths that we learn can absolutely positively transform lives, especially when we share those truths from the heart. That's why the bulk of the work is done by what some would refer to as ordinary people in the church, right? Now, the church isn't a building, of course. It's the people <laughs> that make up the... We are the church. You are the church if you're a believer. And, and by yourself as an individual, you may look at yourself and think, well, I'm just really an ordinary person. What kind of impact can I have? But with the Holy Spirit working through you, you can be used in extraordinary circumstances and to do extraordinary things. And sometimes God doesn't always allow you to see the impact that you're having in the lives of others. But that's okay too. I think the important thing is that you purpose in your heart to continue to walk down that straight and narrow path, the one that leads to life. You know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there be many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life, and there be few who find it. Now, before we continue, let me just wish all of you a Merry Christmas, and Happy New Year. A new year is at the door, and as always, I like looking forward to what's coming next. I know some people celebrate Christmas, others see it as a pagan holiday, and some people are very set in their opinions. But personally, I just look at it as a time to get together with my family and enjoy the time that we have together. 
And, you know, if somebody wants to argue about it, I guess they're going to have to argue with themselves because that's just not something that I invest a lot of time in trying to force my opinion on other people. So in today's episode, I want to talk about some of the tough questions that people have about God, have about life, and give you some insights into maybe why some things are the way they are. One thing that's important to remember is said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in verse number 12, it says, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. And so I think a lot of people want specifics. They want answers about a lot of things that the Bible doesn't go into great detail on. And other times they want to know the answers to obvious questions like, why did God allow certain things to happen? And so recognizing the fact that we're not going to see into each and every situation with crystal clear clarity. However, we can understand the principles that govern certain things and get a broad overview about why certain things happen, why it appears that God is not intervening, and why, even though the Bible says that God is all-powerful, why we don't see him intervening the way we would think maybe he should be intervening, knowing his character, knowing what he's like. And so this is why I wanted to read this verse first, that we do see through a glass darkly right now. So it's it's fruitless to pretend that we see clearly and that we know how everything works exactly inside out. But we can learn something. So there is a balance there. Let me start by saying this. No one will argue the fact that God's original creation, as he created it, was perfect. We can go back into the Old Testament. We can also look into the book of Ezekiel, 20th chapter, starting around verse 11. And we can also read Satan's backstory there. We can also see that he was also made perfect. Ezekiel 28, we see him before the fall, and then also the prophecy concerning his destruction. It's very clear there. Now, of course, it would be great to have more details, and there are some, depending on how you translate the wording, it does appear that Satan had some type of um, storehouses or treasuries that he filled by means of iniquity. And when I heard that the first time, I thought about organized crime, how organized crime works, because they also work on a similar type of principle where they have storehouses that contain things that don't belong to them, that they've gotten through their own iniquity. But let me not, let me not harp on that for a moment. Let's go on a little bit further here, because it also spells out his destruction pretty clearly. Matter of fact, it says that the nations, and I believe you and I are included in that description, that we'll actually see it, that we'll actually look upon him, and that we're all going to marvel that this was the one who caused all of this, all of these problems. This was the one that deceived everyone, the nations, and led the revolt. And so it does bring up a question, why doesn't God do something? Now, there's two people that ask that question. There are unbelievers those that really don't believe in God, maybe they're more agnostic. And then there are Christian people, believers, who are asking, why isn't God doing something? I mean, how many times have you heard that question, why did God allow this or why didn't God intervene as it relates to an event where violence or tragedies took place in the earth? 
young children dying, people being murdered, all of this, and people saying, you know, if God was good, obviously he would be doing something about this. So either he's not good or he doesn't exist. And so these are people that are drawing on conclusions based on what they see happening right now. But that would be like basing the conclusions on our lives and who we are based on where we are right now, right here, right now, and not knowing our own individual backstories. That would be like trying to judge what a country is like or its people without knowing the backstory about where they came from and why things are the way they are. It's easy to take little pieces of evidence and try to fill in the blanks on your own without having a complete picture of what it is that happened, and then you draw the wrong conclusions. So when people make questions like, well, if God really loves us, why does he allow his children to die? If there is a God, you know, why did such a good person die a horrible death? We can see that uh, the world as we know it now is not the world that God originally created it to be. Now, there is an adversary in the world, and it's funny that when you hear these arguments, why did God allow or why did this happen, very seldom do you ever hear the mention of Satan, of demons, of fallen angels, of evil. Very rarely do you hear that. Even though it's obvious that that kind of presence is here, it's not actually brought into the conversation where light is compared with darkness. No, everything just goes back. Everything's attributed to God either allowing it or permitting it or something of that nature. Now, in Luke chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, we get a good picture of the way things are today. It says, this is when the devil was testing Jesus, when Jesus was being tested of the, de of the devil, 40 days and nights. Excuse me, it says in verse 5, And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this power will I give you, and the glory of them, for that is delivered to me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. And so right there we can see the statement that he made that Jesus didn't challenge the validity of that statement. Satan said, the devil said, all this power I will give you, all this authority, and the glory of them, of the kingdoms of the world, because for that is delivered unto me. Well, well who delivered it to him? Who gave it to him? Because Jesus did, again, he didn't say that it's not within your power to give it, right? Let's go a little bit further. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4 said, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. So obviously the God of this world and the devil of Luke 4, verses 5 and 6, are one and the same person. Because why would God be opposing himself? Uh, obviously, he's not. So there is an enemy. There is evil. There is good. And those two are as different and as separate from one another as the light is from the darkness. And so the God of this world also has the ability to do what? To give all of the glory and all of the power to whomsoever he will. Right? That would probably include... Some people may be alive today he gave some power and glory to in, in the earth, in this earth, this fallen world. So we look at that and then we re-examine questions like, well, if God's all-powerful, he can do anything. 
If he has all the power and the ability, well, maybe he doesn't. So the thought that God is powerful and is choosing not to use his power to stop atrocities is, is a terrible thought to have. So, But the fact is, what it comes down to, is God is not going to violate his word and his promises. He made a contract with the original man, Adam, that he's not going to breach. He said, heaven and earth may pass away, but my word will never pass away. So God's integrity is in his word. So what is the contract that he made with Adam that he's not going to breach? In other words, heaven and earth can pass away, but the word he made, including the one that he made to Adam, is not going to pass away. So the Bible says that God created man, male and female. He gave them dominion over the earth. He contracted them, and their job was to watch over the earth to protect it and keep it. The animals were categorized and named. Everything was provided for man to live successfully in this world and to multiply and replenish it. Everything was done under their care. So in essence, God created, God owns everything, but he gave the legal right to Adam and Eve in, in such a way we may call it a lease, right? An earth lease. God gave Adam and Eve a lease to the earth. So it's almost like if you leased an apartment somewhere or you leased a house, you don't own the house, but whatever happens under that roof is between you and the occupants of the house, right? The owner of the house doesn't have the right, if he made a legal lease with you, to come in anytime he wants and do whatever he wants. Now, you could invite him in. Do you see where I'm going with this? Now, again, we're using just natural human, the things that we can relate to, to try to explain something that is spiritual, something that is eternal, and this is an example how we see through a glass darkly. Now, if you've ever looked into a store when the lights were off and maybe you got there and you were hoping to get inside and buy something, you weren't sure if something they had it or not, and the lights are off, it's closed, but you try and look in the window just to see what they have, get an idea of it. Have you ever done that before? But you can't see the details. You can't tell. Some things you can see, but other things you can't. That's what it's like when we look into things that are above and beyond our ability. And see, what's unfortunate today is some people are so dogmatic about the way certain things are. And they will fight and ostracize people just because they don't see things exactly the way they see them. And so you have to realize what's worth maybe standing up for truth-wise, what's obvious, and maybe what's not so obvious, what appears to be so. So that's what I'm saying with this. From all of these scriptures, I'm going to show you some more, that we have a good argument that we could put forward that God gave the legal right to Adam and Eve, like a lease, like we would here on the earth, to take what he created and to live in it, to subdue it, to multiply and replenish it, and to have authority within these boundaries, okay? So it seems that from the Genesis account of creation that it was God's plan for man to have dominion, man and, and all of Adam's offspring, over his creation for a predetermined amount of time. Dominion was given in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 28, and God said, let us make man in our image. I believe the us there, the Elohim, is actually referring to God the Father, 
God the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Let us together make man in our image. The Bible says in the New Testament that nothing was that was made was made without Jesus. In other words, he was there in the creation process. So when God said, let us, we're talking about Father, we're talking about Son, obviously we're talking about Holy Spirit. But after our likeness, it says, and let them have dominion. Now, in verse 26, it says, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Now, some people say that the darkness which was upon the face of the deep speaks to another time, another previous type of creation that was there that was impacted by Satan's fall from heaven. In other words, there was the Eden that was God created, and there was the Eden that Satan walked in in Deut or excuse me, Ezekiel chapter 28, and then there was the Eden that he came in the form of a serpent or through a serpent showing a before and after. So the time frames might be a little bit fuzzy. And of course, you know, we try and figure things out. We use things that we can relate to days, weeks, months, years. It could be that the days, weeks, months, years are just for telling time here in this earth realm. But outside of it, things don't happen in that nice, easy to understand way that we understand time here in this world. I'm just throwing that out there. Again, this is seen through the glass darkly, right? So, um, but we can see the evidence of time in the 31st verse. It says that God saw everything that he had made. Behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day, Genesis chapter one, verses 30, or verse 31, excuse me. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them in Genesis 2, verse 1. So from 1 to the next, we see that God is, has created time. He's calling these the evening, the morning, the sixth day, and authority and dominion were given to the human race for a limited amount of time, for a limited period of time. And notice it was at the end of the sixth day that man was created. So when he saw his creation at the end of the sixth day, he said that it was very good. Now, Genesis 2.1 says that, his works were brought to perfection at the end of six days. So when we apply a concept that we see, and I, I wasn't even going to mention this, but let me just mention it here. Um, a day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day. Talks about that in 2 Peter 3.8. Some people say that this seems to apply that the six days of Genesis and that account Reveal, reveal that man's dominion was to be approximately um, six 1,000-year days, also indicating that this will finish this stage of God's plan with dealing with man in, in this world. All right, now if that's confusing, forget about that. Put that on the back burner for now. You can always revisit these scriptures later yourself. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, God makes this statement. He says, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he is also flesh, yet the days, his days, shall be 120 years. So there are two things that can be profiled in that period of 120 years. It seems that God revealed to Noah that there was going to be 120 years before the judgment would come upon the earth through the flood. However, the 120 years also have another prophetic implication concerning what we might call Adam's lease in the earth. 
So for example, in Leviticus 25, and I know I'm going kind of fast here, but I'm trying to make a point and lay a little bit of a foundation for you, maybe that you don't have with this topic overall. In Leviticus 25, God established that every 50th year, there was supposed to be a year of Jubilee. And I believe that the 120 years mentioned in Genesis chapter 6, verse number 3, is a profile, perhaps, revealing that there's going to be 120 jubilees of 50 years. So 120 times 50, 120 jubilees of 50 years would equal 6,000 years, you know, before judgment comes again. It's, it's, it's a theory. Let's just call it that. No one knows the day or the hour. It's a theory, so we'll just leave it as that. We'll tuck it away. Um, but it could be an indication of when the lease will expire. Now, after the fall of man, God began making covenants with men because he had given man dominion over this world, and God's influence of what would happen in the world was now limited to finding people willing to listen and partner with him to establish godliness and righteousness in the earth. Now think about it this way. If someone leases out the building to you, right? Once that lease is formalized, the lease owner, the owner of the building would have to literally break the law to enter into that building uninvited. Now I'm not trying to minimize God's power I'm not trying to put restrictions on God because we can find other Bible verses which seem to indicate that he doesn't have any restrictions at all. Now, knowing that God knows the beginning from the end, you could see that, of course, he wouldn't have any restrictions and yet still be able to work within the confines of his own rules. When God set the rules down, it's not like he didn't know what was going to happen. It's not like he wasn't aware of the fact that, you know, if, if I make this decision, it's going to have these certain repercussions. However, I'm also going to provide a solution to the repercussions so that in the end, we're still going to get to the desired destination. And through it all, the, life, the lives that I have created are going to have free will. Right? And free will is something that we see over and over again in the Bible. Love, the Bible says that God is love, wants to give love freely. Love gives freely. Love doesn't give because it has to, of compulsion or of necessity. If, you have, if you're a parent or you have a parent, hopefully they love you unconditionally. Hopefully you love your children unconditionally. And you don't think to yourself, well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to uh, help my child in their time of need because they really haven't expressed the same interest in me as I have in them. They haven't really expressed the same desire to know, uh, in my well-being as I have in their well-being. I mean, this is just thinking on a human level. Of course, people do think this way sometimes. People do keep records. You know, I, I've done this and this and this for, for this person, for my friend. They should have it be also doing this and this and this for me. But love, true love, doesn't keep records. Human beings don't walk in the perfect love of God. Even Christian people don't walk in the perfect love of God. Uh, but God gives. It's the nature of love to give. Okay? So we have that. We have the fact that there is an enemy of God, and we have what appears to be 
quite clearly, at least in my opinion, that everything was leased out. I'm using this word lease because the, the lease governs how the different entities in our story can act and react and what they can do and what they can't do. So when Adam fell, he allowed Satan access to the earth lease through fallen men. God couldn't go back on his word and take back dominion of the earth until the lease expires. He began making covenants with righteous men, right? People that would turn to him so he would have access to input things into the earth. And this was done through righteous men that were willing to follow God's words because his word was out of the, you know, because God's word was out on this matter, God couldn't just come to earth and just start destroying everything, destroying all the works of the devil and just flexing his, you want to call it Godhead powers. Instead, he worked through men. Devil was the same way. I mean, knowing that the Bible says the devil only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, what's to to keep just a group of fallen angels from just uh, digging in and just destroying everything in their sight of burning this whole place to the ground, demons and other, because they don't have, they are limited to how they can interact here in this world. They need people to interact through. They, they can do their work. Don't, let me not say that, but it's limited to what they can do. So the devil was working through man. God was working through men. So this was the reason why Jesus was born into the earth in a physical flesh, blood, bone, body. He walked as a man. He looked like a man. He talked like a man because he was a man. And yet at the same time, he was the son of God. God was his father, but he had an earthly mother. And therefore, because he was flesh and blood, he had the authority to destroy the works of the devil because he was a man and God together. But he didn't do miracles. He didn't cast out demons until after he was baptized in the River Jordan and the Holy Spirit came upon him. And you can go ahead and read the story. So now he was a man born in the earth, but anointed and joined with the Spirit of God. And it says his fame went out through all the regions round about and he began to do great and mighty miracles. And he willingly did all of this. And that's what the father said. Now, in Acts chapter 10, the apostle Peter gives us an insight into what he could do. A man who had fallen, born of an earthly mother, born of an earthly father, but had was connected to Jesus Christ, right? Had accepted Jesus into his life, had been filled with the Holy Spirit. He gives us an insight here when he says in Acts 10, 38, it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, with the Holy Ghost and with power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. So as a man, Jesus had the authority to destroy the works of the devil, but first God had to anoint him or fill him with his spirit, his ability, so that he could destroy the works of the devil. Jesus, the Son of God, born on the earth as a man, because God had given mankind authority over all the earth, And the scriptural indications here are, again, that this earth has been leased to man for a temporary period of time. And that when that time ends, God will take control back of this earth. Matter of fact, 
there was one time when uh, a man filled with demons saw Jesus coming and the spirit in the man cried out and said, we know who you are. You are the Holy Son of God. Have you come to torment us before the time? In other words, the time has not elapsed yet. The lease, I'm just using that word for the sake of understanding. I'm not saying that there's a literal spiritual lease somewhere. There's a physical contract. Who knows? Maybe, maybe there is made of supernatural paper, but who knows how it was done. But either way, a promise was made and that promise is recorded somewhere and it was agreed upon. Adam accepted it. He didn't deny it. He didn't run from it. He took it. Jumping forward to the New Testament, Mark chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. This is the English Standard Version. I don't have the New King James in front of me, but this is Jesus speaking, verse number 1. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for a wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. And when the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and him they killed, and so with many others. Some they beat, some they killed. Verse number six. He had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. So it's evident in these verses that Jesus is describing what we're calling here the lease of the earth or the earth lease. And he reveals that an appointed time, there is an appointed time where the owner of the vineyard will come back and he's going to bring with him judgment that's going to come upon the wicked vine uh, husbandmen, people tending the vineyard, and he will give the vineyard to others. His well-beloved son, who was the heir in this parable, is the perfect profile of Jesus. And it seems that the devil and his followers just said, let us kill him and the earth will be ours. And clearly, this is very clearly a profile of the earthlies, not only that, but also of its expiration. These verses finish up in verses 9 and 10, where it says, what will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Let me start wrapping this up by saying, Jesus said this in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. In other words, he will have fellowship a real living connection with you in a personal way. If you want God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit in your life, you can choose to open the door and let them in. If you let God into your life, everyone around you will benefit from it. It may not happen overnight. You may not see the results overnight, but I assure you it will happen. If you believe, the Bible says, you and your house shall be saved. And likewise, if you open the door to another voice, the wrong voice, and we've all done this, then you allow darkness into your life and it too will affect not only you, but the people around you. Things in life often happen gradually. Sometimes we're so busy, we pass right by the warning signs and we don't even see them. We only recognize what should have been obvious, our mistakes, 
when we see them in hindsight. And that's why I encourage you to commit to finding the path God has for you in 2023. Even if you've made more mistakes than you can count up until now, God gives each of us the chance to turn it all around. Take some time from your busy schedule and learn what God's Word really says about life and how to live it. There are so many apps that you can download, listen to the Bible on your phone or on another device, read it, get it in physical book form. It's everywhere. It's all around us. All right, that's all I have for you today. Thank you for listening. If this podcast helps you, please go ahead and share the link with a friend. I appreciate this time that I had to spend with you today. Merry Christmas again to all of you. Happy New Year. I hope you really do have a great weekend. Enjoy the rest of your day, and I'll talk to you again soon. God bless.